Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kelly Johnson. I'm the volunteer and program coordinator here at the chapel. And I'm very excited and honored to introduce this morning's session, Young Activists Speak Out, bringing voices of emerging climate justice leaders to the forefront of this intergenerational challenge to transform the climate crisis. Uh, the session today will be moderated by Estrella Sainberg, who has been the organizing director at Green Faith, an interfaith organization that works with people of all faiths and spiritualities to help heal and restore the earth. Estrella will share more about our speakers in the session format. Uh, before we begin, don't forget to silence your cell phones and uh, please refrain from photography. We will be uh, video recording this session. And uh, first, we're gonna open with a powerful poem from three-time member of Houston's premier youth poetry slam team, Metaphor Houston and Houston's Youth Poet Laureate and great friend of the chapel, Jackson Neal. What's up, everyone? I know this is a very solemn, quiet space. We had that lovely, that lovely song to bring us into this, but this is somewhat of a difficult poem for me to do. So what I'm asking is that everyone here make a little bit of noise. So can you just snap your fingers real quick? Cool, cool. Can you rub your hands together? All right, can you make just like that dark chocolate? Mm, just mmm, cool, cool, cool. So poetry is a conversation, right? I'm not here to lecture to you, I'm here to speak with you. So if you hear something, anything at all that moves you, that you enjoy, please let me know. Make some sound, some kind of energy, and what energy you give me, I'll give back onto you. Sound like a plan? Let's do it. Multiple choice test after the hurricane. Question one. Houston's 2015 flood was so large, meteorologists predicted it could only happen once every 500 years. In 2016, a second 500-year flood hit my city. In 2017, a Hurricane Harvey was so large, meteorologists predicted it could only happen once every 1,000 years. What does 20 centuries of grief look like? A. Grandmother's home, a wooden skeleton. Each plank the plea of a drowning man, oak piano, ceramic chickens, the wedding photos, all of it. Drenched in shit, salt-crusted, buried under dead possums. B, your father, 49, crying in his mom's arms. What we do not hold, the ocean takes. It is hard to place water. There is water in the body. There is a body of water. There are bodies in the water. C, it looks like 34 trillion gallons. D, 20 centuries is a grief beyond religion. The earth is gone after 40 days, and then what? This water takes planets. It floods heaven. The ocean knows no God. Question two. If we close our eyes, the rain will also sound like A, fire. B, our homes cracked open. C, our bodies husked like crawfish D, rain, just rain. It's just rain, it won't stop. Question three, when the mother asks, have you seen my son, what is the correct response? A, only in pictures, on the wall at CVS, the news is missing persons list here, creased inside your hand. B, 
maybe beneath water. See, you think she's referring to sky? No, ma'am. Our sun has left us. We have only the moon pulling ocean over our head. D, I'm so sorry. Question four. When the politicians offer only prayers, you will tell them, A, it is dangerous to pray in the midst of spirits. We are warned not to drink the water for the way the dead will pool your stomach and speak using your vessel. Your amens taste like a mouth of venom. B, who is your God? What's his tax bracket? What's his party? Is he white? Is your God insured? Did you make ties? Did you make a tax cut? Did you make a sacrifice? Was our blood enough? C, actually, I know your God. God of coal, God of oil, God of fracking, God of overdevelopment, massive hurricanes are three times more likely God of Trinity, God of Noah, take your God back. We ask for no blessings. We give no thanks. We taste the blood of salt and spit. See, actually, I know your God. God of coal, God of oil, God of fracking, God of overdevelopment. Massive hurricanes are three times more likely. D. You have nothing left to offer. Answers. We are people made of more answers than problems. Our answers inundate sea, our renewable wind, river, yes, still breathing, there are answers, and my nana's cooking. We had to evacuate and every road was closed, we found a way out, our answers float. They say, love, there are answers in my people. My people, <laughs> my clutch city, my each town till I drown, my each town has drowned. And I wonder why that is not answer enough. Hello? There we go. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jackson. I, I really appreciate your words, and they're really moving, and I know that um, it's just really appropriate for where we are and where the chapel is and just where this conference is taking place. Um, so, you know, I'll just take a deep breath. At least I know I need one. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, it's been a beautiful morning already and, and just a really amazing um, conference so far. Uh, this morning we have a, a really, um, a panel that I hope can uh, move us into uh, action as we prepare ourselves for next steps coming out of this um, symposium. So, 
I should say that my name is Estrella and I had the opportunity to meet Ashley, the director here of community engagement, I believe, and, and partnerships and outreach and um, everything exciting uh, at, a, at a retreat for an international network of organizations committed to peace building um, called the United Religions Initiative. I'm an organizer, an interfaith organizer with Green Faith, and we were both there, and um, we've just stayed in touch since. And um, it's just really clear that here at the Rothko Chapel, there's a commitment to bold action, to contemplation and reflection, as well as bold action. And those are values that are um, really necessary when working to create change. And I think you'll find uh, that each of the panelists here today um, really embody uh, those values and are taking really bold action. Um, so I'm excited for you all to hear from them. Um, I'm just amazed with how they have uh, committed, what they've done with their own lives, what they've committed to, and how they've changed the course of their own lives, the people around them, and really the future of, of of all, for all of us. Um, so uh, without further ado, um, I'd like to take, so, you know, take the rest of this time to really let um, our panelists speak. I uh, will ask them each a question and we'll do two, two rounds of, we'll do a few rounds of questions. Um, and then as always, we'll have a chance at the end to do question and answer. So. Um, First, uh, Juan Elizondo, uh, I ask you to introduce yourself and um, please tell us what sparked your in interest in climate action. <clears throat> well, hey everybody, my name is Juan Elizondo. I'm an educator at Fur High School. I'm also the partnerships coordinator and I'm also in charge of these three pathways that we have. Um, one is about uh, agriculture and natural resources. The other is media and the other one is health science. And so you asked the question, like, what sparked my interest? Yeah, what sparked your interest in climate well, action, environmental action? I'm a teacher for a reason, um, and that's because I had a teacher in high school that actually went ahead and figured in order to reach me, she needed to be, in order to teach me, she needed to reach me, right? And so I was in AP Environmental Science, and I was in Science Club, and we did a lot of conservation projects, like restoration of the bayou, erosion, planting. Um, one time she took us out in the canoes picking up trash. And then now I'm here, you know, back home, um, teaching seven years of service and making the full circle. And I'm not a fan of the way education is, and that's why I'm in the system. So that way I can figure out how to change it and spark a flame in the next generation of people that can lead this work. So that's my yeah. answer. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. And Nadia uh, Nazar um, is here from Zero Hour, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and also what sparked your interest, what got you involved in climate action. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nadia. I'm 16 years old. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm currently a high school student and I'm one of the co-founders for the youth-led climate justice organization known as Zero Hour. So um, I'm also organizing the DC climate strike for March 15th, um, which is going to be a global event, but I'm helping organize the, the national one in, in Washington, DC. So what really sparked my interest was 
my, my love for animals. I, growing up, I was always really close to nature and traveling to India every few years and, and seeing all of the nature, the trees, the water, and, and really connecting with all the animals because um, Baltimore, we're very close with the, the Chesapeake Bay and the marine life there. So when I, when I first learned about how climate change is impacting these species and how all of these species are, are dying and, and they're innocent, you know, we're the one that caused this destruction, but they're, they're the ones that are suffering first. So that, that really hurt to hear about that. So I really wanted to, to help change the, the issue and, and really solve this. And as I got more into the movement, I learned more about how it disproportionately affects people. And, and that's really been pushing me now too. Hmm. Thank you. And Jaden Voitlin, um, same question as for the others. Um, hi, my name is Jaden Voitlin and I'm 15. I'm from Rain, Louisiana. And I'm part of a lawsuit with our children's trust. It's called the Youth VGov. We're suing the federal government. As of right now, we don't have a trial date, but we have had trial dates in the past. Right now, we're kind of just seeking support from other people. Like Zero Hour, we have a um, brief that they filed. We have over 30,000 people, um, people under 25 that signed it in like, support of um, the Juliana, Juliana case. Um, what sparked my interest, my, I live in a very impacted area. I live in like, after the um, BP oil spill, I was like six years old and I remember seeing like pelicans and photos of pelicans that were like drowned in like oil and like everything that happened afterwards. And my mom was an activist also. My mother is Shree Foyland, she's fighting the Bayou Bridge Pipeline right now. We have a camp of um, Loe Lavi down in um, Indian Bayou. And so I've kind of always been surrounded by like the impacts of climate change and like activism kind of my whole life. And so that kind of really sparked my interest because it was something that was like surrounding me and something that was like really impacting me in my home. And so that's what sparks my interest. Thank you. I think that it's um, really clear that uh, these folks have gotten involved at a really young age and um, Young people are, I think oftentimes I forget myself to talk about the, our age group. Uh, this is the only panel uh, that's focused around an age group in, in the, at the conference. And um, there's something special, and I think there's a reason for that. There's something special um, about what's happening in the country and around the world um, with, with youth and folks under 35, I guess we could say. Um, I don't, I'm sure people have read about that in 2018, the most amount of um, youth came out and voted uh, since 1971, I believe it is, um, and between the ages of 18 and 32. And we're just at 30-ish percent uh, of people that voted in 2018 here in the United States, but uh, and that, that's, that's, even, that's a lot. Um, we have a lot of young people um, who want to take action, and they're well aware of the problem at hand. Uh, there's young people being denied the, the ability to influence the future of our country, but um, these folks certainly are, not, are, are relentless, and, um, and there's a good reason to be so because of the very clear problem that um, has been presented at hand uh, at, as we've learned about at this conference. So what I... I'd like to hear more about is, you know, so we have this problem, but what, where should we, where, what do you, what is the world as you, what is the world that you'd like to see, that you'd hope to see, and um, how are you working towards that more specifically? 
this is a chance for us to you know, get into your brain and your dreams and your um, vision and hear about how this ha happens more, a little bit more tangibly and specifically for you. Um, yeah, please start us. Uh, well, for me, you know, Houston, number one, it stinks, right? I don't know for you, but when I wake up, I smell it. You know, when I walk out the door and I'm about to go teach, either I smell it, right I'm walking out, and then when I get to school, I'm smelling the dump. And so I don't want that anymore. And I also don't want the flooding to happen anymore. For me, I've been noticing that the water was rising. Every time it rains, I get panic because my street floods, you know. And so sometimes I'm like, hey, either I go home now or I stay at work for a couple of more hours because the rain is going to be high water on my street. Um, one of the things that I have big passion for is getting the youth. That's why I'm a teacher, right? And I'm a teacher in the very community that I was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and I wanted to come back to make a difference. Um, it's all about education. If we want people to have a passion for the environment, you know, we've got to do more than just make documentaries, and we've got to do more just going to panels and hearing people out. We need to go ahead and lead, but lead with getting your hands dirty and on the ground, and actually getting your boots there too, okay? And so one of the things that um, we're going to be doing is we work with Tejas, Texas Environmental Justice Advocacy Services, and we have Brian over here as well. And um, next Friday, we're going to be taking some of our teachers from all contents, you name it, math, English, art, um, biology, everything, right? And also some electives, and also along with some key students, and we're gonna go ahead and do a toxic tour. And we're gonna be doing one once a month with a lot of teachers, shuffling them in and out. And next school year, what we're hoping to do is implement environmental justice programming school-wide throughout the subjects. Because we just can't have one particular group in the school talking about EJ work, while the math and the science and all these other teachers are not even developing the consciousness of, hey, you know, what is the mathematical equation of all these fumes or all this toxicity? What is that? What can that lead to, you know? Instead of doing artificial, you know, mathematical equations, why not just related to our communities, related to our areas, related to the issues, and how can we go ahead and implement solutions? With that, of course, you know, the students are gonna be more empowered. They collected that data, they were able to research it, and they'll in turn get the confidence to be like these young ladies here, to be advocates, to go ahead and possibly sue, you know, possibly run their own programming and things of that kind of sort. That's what we want. And that's what I'm aiming for, and that's what I'm pushing for, is that I want my community to be resilient, you know? I want my community to be able to bounce back from a natural disaster. And some of the things in Harvey that affected us is that our grocery store flooded. You know, we have Fiesta, and nobody could be able to access it because it's still shut down to today. You know, we don't have a local grocery. Our hospital on our side of town is actually shut down. The closest one is London B. Johnson or Ben Tab. And so what we have done is planted over 100 fruit trees on our campus. We also created a community garden right across the street from us at Hermie Brown Park. It's like an acre. We have fruit trees there too, about 40 of them, garden beds. And then we also plant at our feeder pattern schools, the elementary and middle schools, and then also at some other public spaces as well. And what I notice is that when I get the kids out there, they also feel empowered and proud because they leave a legacy behind, right? It's about leaving your mark. It's about being able to pass by and say, hey, you see that? I worked that. Hey, you see that tree? I planted that 10 years ago. Look at the abundance of the fruit now that we can harvest and share. 
And so for me, it's making it relevant and really getting the kids to be able to leave their mark, get their hands dirty, and create a physical change. Definitely. Thank you for the work mm -hmm. that you do. And Nadia, what about you? What is the world that you envision and how are you working towards that? The, the world I envision is really one where we don't have to live with fear, the fear that we, we won't have clean air, clean water, and, and many people already don't have access to that because of this issue. So a world where we all can live together with justice, a world that encompasses racial justice and, and environmental justice just in, in general so everyone can live peacefully, not with with nature not like against nature and, and kind of to live together as people united to fight for this issue we're nowadays we're so separated and divided by so many different complex things and people have gotten so separated from from our planet and, and our home and, and how we how we live with technology and and devices so really getting back to the roots of of how we live and, and just life in general mm -hmm. And we're, we're really trying to, to focus on climate justice becoming like a really big forefront of, of the movement because a lot of people leave that out and, and if you leave that out, you're leaving people behind. And, and we can't leave people behind in this issue because that, that's what caused this issue, right? We, we're not listening to the indigenous people, we're not listening to people of color, to women, and, and that's how all of these corporations, these oil and coal corporations got this big amount of power and that's how they, they really have taken over our land so we can, we, we really need to listen to each other and come up with wise solutions. And we, we already have wise solutions, so really, like as you said, going out there, leading and implementing it and taking it into our communities. Yeah, and I, I think education is a very big part of it. Like me, myself, I really got into this becoming more educated about the issue. So educating other youth and, and making sure that they know what's right and, and how to properly, properly like how they can help and how, how they can help in this, this movement and, and really contribute. So Zero Hour is really trying to get more of our generation involved in this issue, especially because it, it affects us heavily. It will affect many of us heavily. So we are, we're going to do an education campaign where, where students are educated about climate justice and then they go into their schools and, and teach their peers about um, how systems of oppression, like the patriarchy, colonialism, racism, capitalism, ableism, industrial animal agriculture, how all of those systems and industries have, have pressured us and, and kind of trapped us in a system where we, we have to keep, keep fueling this issue. You, you know, we all do, do like small things that lead up to this big issue, but also knowing that we have to hold corporations accountable and not just just ourselves. So Zero Hour is really, um, Zero Hour will be having students go into their schools and, and ed ed educate um, their, their peers about that. So when I, I've presented the presentation multiple times and the my peers always, at the end, we always discuss like, what is something you're gonna do after this? And, and they always seem like really hopeful about the issue and, and that's also something that that people need more. A lot of people think this is a hopeless issue, but we, we really need a lot more um, hope in this world because there is hope to solve it. People just are forgetting that there is. Yeah. And, and as art director at Zero Hour, is there a way that um, art plays a role in, uh, or that 
Yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about how um, art is playing a role in this, in your work? Yeah, I think art is really serves as a really great tool for inspiration and awareness. We, we had art builds for our Youth Climate March last July, and it was really great community building. The youth were coming in, and we were just painting, talking about the issues, and we were like painting messages and symbols, and it was really nice because we, when we got to march in the rain, we all held the banners, and it was it's like chanting. And it was just a very, like, very great positive energy that we knew that we were going to put into leading, leading this movement. Mm. And also like awareness, a lot of people, it's hard to, to communicate with them sometimes. They, it's hard for them to listen to your words, but when they see powerful imagery and they see it and they, they kind of start to understand like this, this is actually going to affect us. And once they see like images, photography of, of how people are being affected of all these natural disasters that are, that are hurting people and, and like a picture can tell a million words and that imagery is so so strong and powerful, and I think art is really something that is inspiring people people to move. And not only um, like 2D art, but but movies, documentaries, and and in different media's like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing how you're incorporating your own skills, um, and I think that's an important, really important element in in making change. Is really working out of who we are and what we love and what we um, know and do well. Um, Jaden, what about you? Um, I'm sorry, can you remind yeah, me of the question? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, what is the world that you hope to see? Um, and how are you working towards that and working with other people towards that? Um, what is the world I would like to see? Well, as somebody that's from South Louisiana and a heavily impacted place, I would like to have it rain without me being worried about like my house being flooded out again, or I would like, a world I envision is a world where my little like brothers wouldn't have to worry about that either, and people all around the world wouldn't have to worry about being flooded out of their house, or if it's okay to like go outside, or if their school is flooded, or if it's just okay to even like breathe. I don't want any other kids to be like flooded out of their house. I don't want any other adults or future generations to have to go through what I had to go through in 2016. So a world I really would like to see is just a place without a pipeline in Louisiana, a place without flooding, a place without like so many like climate disasters put onto like not only my community but every community out there. And the way I'm like working to like towards that, I'm really working in my community because there's also a pipeline being built seven miles away from my house called the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. I've been really trying to fight that. Me and my family, I have some. Um, actually some of the campers from the resistance camp down in um, Indian Bayou, the Loi La Vie camp. We've really been like trying to fight that, but also with the lawsuit by, ho by holding like older generations accountable and holding the government accountable for knowing the disasters that's been caused by climate change and like still doing leasing in the Gulf and still furthering like the damage to Louisiana and South Louisiana and just holding the government and adults accountable is like really kind of my way of just like, of my way of activism, of being like, I am a 15 year old, I don't have money, I don't have a job, I'm a high school student. I don't have the resources to really fix my place besides just making adults do it. Cause they have the money, they have like, oh God. Like they, they have a way to do it. Me, I'm just a kid, like I can do as much as I could, but there's not much I can do because I'm kind of in a powerless situation and like 
in this situation, I'm not the one with power, the adults are. And the fact that like, adults aren't taking my concerns and my generation's concerns serious is what I'm really like, trying to fight for with the lawsuit and, and, by, way I, and by ways I've been like, working with other people is definitely, I appreciate um, Zero Hour really much for like, um, very much for helping us with like, support and with the um, petition or like the amicus, is that how you say it, brief? Like, I've really been like, trying to work and I've been trying to go through like, not only my community, because my community is very conservative and it's very hard to get through my community, but trying to get through like, other communities like, that are also going to be impacted by the um, pipeline or just by flooding and like, being here in Texas. It's like, we are all going to face the same problems if nothing happens. Like, Texas, we, I have flooding where I am. I was flooded out of my house also. And so, like, we all have, we're all going to go through the problems if we don't do anything. And if we don't hold the government accountable for the damage they know they're causing to us, then it's just going to continue to get worse. And that's how I'm trying to combat it. And that's how I'm trying to see the word I want to see. Thank you. <coughs> Thanks for what you do. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, I, just a question for anyone that um, wants to respond. Uh, what change are you noticing as a result of youth being involved um, in, in your community, um, in the youth, or in for climate, uh, for the future of climate? Um, yeah, what, what change are you noticing? And, and or what are the challenges that youth are facing in, in climate activism and environmental care? For anyone. I think that more people care about the issue now because when, when they hear their children speaking out about it, you know, they're, they're like five-year-olds, nine-year-olds that are saying, like, what are you, what are you doing to, to my life, my future? And, and when you see that and, like, a, a child saying that, you know, you know, they shouldn't have to worry about, their, it's a, about that, it's their childhood. So, so I think some adults who are listening are, are starting to take that into consideration and, and not only making climate change, like, a, a big like a, a significant topic to, to talk about and to act upon, but to also include youth in that process and to bring on youth and be like, what, what do you want to see? And, and trusting that they have, that they have um, good, good intentions and, and good ideas about how, like solutions. And like, like for the Green New Deal, like that was drafted up by the youth, it was pushed by the youth of the Sunrise Movement. Can so, you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Or just what that is? Yeah, so the Green New Deal is um, a resolution that was recently introduced into Congress by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And it's a radical bill that um, calls for a swift, just transition, and a just transition from fossil fuel energy into renewable energy so that no one is left behind and that we, we move through this together and, and not just all of, all of a sudden like implement these solutions, but do it in um, a way where we, we, we gradually do it and we do it by 2030, which is what the UN IPCC report says. So it, it, was, a, it was a radical bill. So that Green New Deal, the Green New Deal is, is, um, is being really pushed for and advocated by, by youth and youth activists. And like last week we saw there were children from the Youth v. Apocalypse group in San Francisco. They were asking Senator Feinstein they're asking her, like, can you can you sign this bill? Like, like it, it's my future. And she was saying, like, oh, you should run for Senate one day and then do it. And then they were like, <laughs> the, 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 then she would then 
the adults were like, the time they run for Senate, because there's the age limit, right? The time they run for Senate, it'll be past 2030. Mm -hmm. It'll be past the point where climate change is going to be irreversible. So, so that was a really significant moment. So, so people are really taking youth more seriously. Um, and social media is a very great tool. Youth have been using, youth have been using social media to really speak out about this issue, and and it's been like a stronger community now that we have like our Children's Trust, Earth Guardians, Zero Hour. Mm -hmm. Youth feel more empowered to speak out on this issue and be supported by other youth online. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, what I see for a lot of the youth is you know it all starts with education, right? especially when you're saying, oh, you know, they tell their parents and things, and it is true. You know, what the kids learn in school from elementary to middle to even high, um, you know, they're gonna go back home and relate that information. And it's important because in working classes, like my dad and my mom, they'll be home like at 7 p.m., right? And so when do they have that luxury time to go to a panel? When do they have that luxury time to go ahead and look at social media or that lo the luxury time to perhaps even read a newspaper because they're too busy working, right? Um, and that's this, it, it's the way it is. And so for education, I want to keep investing in the kids because they relate the information back home. Mm -hmm. Then they start making decisions, especially like when our students are from, their parents are just Spanish speaking, and then the kids are both bilingual in English and in Spanish, and most information about EJ or most information about climate change is all in English. So, you know, we're missing. Where's that gap, right? And so that really helps because then they start getting educated, they start sharing. And the big thing that our youth are facing right now is relevant work. Like they have global like mindsets of changing the world, but how do we get them to get local? How do we get them to do local advocate work? How do we get them to do local change in their own very communities? Because it is hard, especially if you don't have the funding, especially if you don't have these opportunities and things of that sort. So for me, is you need to really invest in your public schools. I mean, I feel like nobody's doing that. Everybody wants to invest in these charters and these beautiful other types of schools, but your public schools is gonna be there forever, no matter what. And you know, it's kind of, we kind of turning our back on public schools and looking forward to all these other fancy ones. Your public school is going to be there no matter what at the end of the day. So what can you do to ensure that your local taxpayer money is actually creating empowering kids? So like for us, our mindset at the school is, imagine a high school in which empowers their students to tackle environmental injustices and become the green hub of their community. And that's what we're trying to become. So we're, we have partners and we're looking for more partners who really want to go ahead and, and make a, a direct impact on youth. Yeah. yeah, it seems like youth are kind of a, a gate, like, and there's another long list of why it's important to engage youth, but I think you just mentioned one that's really important to note in terms of um, being cultural uh, bridges and, and, and even a bridge um, for the language as well, right? Mm -hmm. Any other comments or just reactions to each other? Or, um, anything else you'd like the, the audience to know um, who've been here for a couple days thinking about this um, and maybe looking forward now towards a better future as the conference is called? Open for discussion. You're welcome to respond to each other, discuss with each other. Um, 
Oh, I, 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 everyone's looking at me and I'm trying to think about what I can add to that. Yeah, I think just kind of like agreeing with the both of y'all, that's very like, education is a really good way to like really, if it's really you want to get to youth, education is an amazing way to get to them. Same with like media and same with Zero Hour. I'm really like, like proud of both of y'all and I'm like, thank you for your work. And yeah, there's not really much I can add because y'all said basically what need, needed to be said or what I could think of also. And Jaden, with your work, I mean, are there any ways that we can uh, be supportive of what you're doing or um, promote what you're doing? What, what is kind of the entryway to uh, becoming a part of what you do? Um, well, with the lawsuit, you can definitely just um, go to the Archons Trust website and learn more about it and learn how like you can support the plaintiffs and just like get the message out there of like what's happening with the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. Um, if y'all live close or if y'all just want to come down to Louisiana, there's the, my mama runs the uh, resistance camp, the Lower La Vie camp, and we're fighting the Bayou Bridge Pipeline that's going to be put seven miles away from my house. It's from the same company, um, ETP, that put down the Dakota Access Pipeline, or yeah, put down the Dakota Access Pipeline, and we're mm -hmm. fighting that pipeline because that company is not good and neither is the pipeline itself, so we're just fighting down there. So if y'all definitely want to come down to Louisiana, y'all are all welcome. It's very good there. We got, a few days ago, we had crawfish, so, I mean, <laughs> if y'all want to learn about Louisiana, that's one of the best places. They're all like, mm -hmm. spend a week there, you're going to become Cajun, I'm sorry. Like, y'all going to get the accent, y'all going to, we ain't, nah. That's we'll good. be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to um, ask a, a question, be selfish, and ask the first question for the question and answer, and then we'll, we can open it up. Um, wondering how you all think, like, uh, how, how do we reach out to, how do I reach out to my niece, who is maybe only 12 or 13 years old, and... I don't want to scare her about the world yet, but I'd love for her to be a, a passionate and uh, a change maker and a leader in her community. I mean, yeah. I certainly was, and there were people that believed in me, and I don't know what they did to get me involved, but now I'm on the other side, and I'm like, uh, what do I do? So how do you look at a young person? You're like, I want you to change the world, but I don't want to scare you too much yet. Um, what do you think? Well, after this, I'm running off to a field trip. <laughs> and to me, that's the most important thing as an educator for me, is getting my students to have those field experiences and to also be out there and to build that relationship. So like, you know, you spoke about a passion of wildlife. I'm actually gonna take our, we're taking about 40 kids to a wildlife expo after this. So they're already at their school. They're about to take off in a little bit. I'm gonna catch up with them. And that's where it starts, is letting them take them to see the awe and wonderment of this world and what it has to offer. Connect them to elders and mentors that can lead them to the path of being empowered and be able to advocate, you know, to advocate for, their, for what they need and the community needs. It's all about that, you know, it's showing them the world. I love documentaries, I do. I'm a filmmaker by training and everything, that kind of stuff. But you got, how are you going to fall in love with a butterfly if you never touched one? You know, you just seen it, okay? And so how do you go ahead and get kids to really understand and appreciate what the world has to offer if you're gonna lock them up in a classroom with four walls? 
It's not gonna happen. You gotta take them outdoors. So with us, we have a 900 acre park across the street from um, our high school. And I take our kids out there. I take them out, we do projects of conservation. We have a fishing pond that we're removing the invasive water weed of water hyacinth. They understand the biology of the water. Um, we have the fruit orchard over there. We walk through the forest, through the season, so that way they could start creating that memory bank of this is what winter looks like, this is what fall looks like, these are what, you know, the decomposition of the soil and the, the leaves and the critters that come out at different times and the migration patterns and things of that sort. Getting them back synced into our natural way of life that we were supposed to be like our indigenous ancestors, right? We gotta get away from the walls, we gotta go back outdoors, we gotta go back out there and experience it. Especially in Houston, it's bipolar weather. We gotta learn how to be resilient with it, right? I got my jacket here, I got my long sleeve, I'm ready for whatever might happen, you know? So, all in wonderment, you gotta take your kids out there, get them to see the all in wonderment of the world. That's mine. I think that's such a great place to start. Thank mm -hmm. you for the advice. Anything to add or? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. That was, yeah, I, like, I, I always go out, in elementary school and middle school, I always went outside within our environmental clubs, and I, I think that, that definitely helped me personally. And I, I wouldn't be scared about, like, telling her, her what's happening, because you know it's happening now, and there, there's not really any other way to put it. It's mm -hmm. gonna, it, it's happening whether or not we want it to. So, so really just being open with her and saying, you know, this is happening, and, and maybe, like, slowly starting to tell her more and more, like, the, the effects of it, but, but just mainly like the main science behind it and and like the root the root causes just so she's aware of the issue and can if she's if she becomes interested when you talk to her like she can go and learn more about it herself like online and mm -hmm. and self-educate herself as well yeah so encouraging her to do that yeah. thank you what about you all do you all have any questions okay so we have a couple <laughs> people that um are gonna uh come to you with the mic, wait till they get to you with the mic to um, speak into it. And we'll, if it's okay, we'll move from back to front. I know a hand shot up in the front, but if it's okay, we'll just move from back to the front. So um, I'll let you all manage that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, is it on? Okay. Yeah. Um, I recommend everyone to see the, a YouTube video of Greta Thunberg from Sweden. She's one of the most incredible speakers. She spoke at the, uh, at the, uh, the climate conference in Poland recently, the United Nations. So she's kind of the leader in Europe right now for the youth movement. Um, so I don't know if you all have any comment on that. But the, the question I was going to ask is one um, issue that came, I heard from the event that happened with Diane Feinstein that you mentioned last week was that there was sort of this thinking that a lot of these kids are being set up by their green left-leaning parents and they're not really doing it on their own and they're kind of being, you know, kind of coerced and I was wanting to see if um, there was any reaction to that and how that can be sort of countered so that it really does come off as being your own independent, you know, uh, uh, movement. I, I, like you said about Greta, Greta's very nice, she's one of our friends um, and I'm organizing the DC Climate Strike, which is a movement that she started with her her cli climate strike in Sweden. So yeah, she's she's great. And about the the youth being coerced into it, I I don't think the youth last week were were coerced because um, they're they're part of a group called Youth v Apocalypse, and Youth v Apocalypse started out as um, 
they, one of their first actions was a sister march, our for Zero Hours Youth Climate March in, in the Bay Area of California. So I, uh, those youth organized that march. Um, that march was youth-led by them, and, and they've been doing a lot of action in the Bay Area themselves, and I think this was just another one of their many actions that they did, you know, joining Sunrise, and those youth were very passionate. You could obviously see it in the video, and if, if a child was to be forced to do that, I don't think they would have been that energetic about it. And I, I do get that a lot. People think like zero hours, like there's a bunch of adults behind the scenes, but it's completely youth that we're like, we, we want to do something about this, you know, and we, we got together and we, we put our energy into this, our, our extra time. We all go to public school and we, so we sacrifice like our, our kind of like our time as like teenagers to do this. So I think that this, this is such a press, pressing issue that that youth really want to mobilize in, especially because it will be affecting youth the most at the, at the end of the day in the future. So because of that, that fear that's upon us, like, like somewhat of like an apocalypse, like it's, so I, I think that's really causing youth to mobilize and I don't, I don't think that adults are, are forcing the youth to. And if, if the adults really wanted like youth to, to mobilize, you know, the adults could mobilize themselves. You know, they don't have to get the youth to mobilize. <laughs> 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 We're not your puppets, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then just to add a little bit more, this has to be an intergenerational movement. There is no way that youth can change it by themselves, right? If that was the case, then why do you need teachers? Why do you need schools, okay? We all have to work together. We have to empower our youth, give them the skills and the tools necessary so that way when these things come up they know how to go ahead and put a lawsuit in they know how to go ahead and petition the government they know they're able to do this and that so in turn those youth they got empowered they got by they got empowered by mentors leaders now the whole oh they're getting brainwashed saying this and that no that's just just people just got nothing to do with themselves okay don't pay mind to none of that stuff but if you work hand in hand with the youth, you're gonna be able to get a lot of stuff done. And it's important. Youth really, like you said, I don't got no money, I don't have no job, all these <laughs> kind of things. You have so much to say, but sometimes us elders and mentors, we're, we get scared because we have a, a nine to five and we have a little trust fund or we have 411k, whatever, you know, a little retirement money, all these kind of things. And so both of us need to balance each other. Both of us need to hear each other out and work together, because if not, then what's gonna, what does that mean, us and them? And it can't be us and them, it has to be together. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I was wondering if each of you could share a story of a time that you changed somebody's mind and, uh, and, and how that happened. can't really like I've had like moments where my friends I've been talking to them and they're like wonder about the lawsuit and they're like how did you get involved or why are you doing this I don't think they ever really have been like oh yeah I'm not conservative anymore oh yeah I am like going to go green I don't think I've ever done that but they have like been like way more open to it you can't really like you can definitely change someone's view but it's very hard. You can influence it in a way, I guess, but you can't really like change it. I can't. I wish I could say that I've changed some people's views, but 
I really just haven't. I've had them be like, oh, do you get paid for it? Maybe I'll do it if I got paid, but that's really it. <laughs> I never really had any of them be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be an activist. Now, I wish I did, I would, that would have been amazing, but it's very hard, especially in like conservative Louisiana red state, it's very hard to like change someone's mind about like the climate issue, unless you're like, and I'm not the most professional person, so I can't really give like a big scientific like reasoning and like I can't really give them like a PowerPoint and like what's happening. I can mostly just be like talk to my friends and be like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing it. And they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then that's the end of that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of students at my school have been paying more attention to the climate crisis, especially because I I go around and I speak at places and the work I've done with Zero Hour, some of them are, some of my peers are starting to kind of catch up and they're like, oh, what is Nadia doing? Mm -hmm. so, so when they pay more attention to that, to our Zero Hour's like social media and things like that, I think they're learning more about um, climate justice and, and environmental justice, which is, I don't think it's really changing their minds. Like you said, you can't really change someone completely, but it's, I think it's like people are just learning more and, and starting to be more aware of the issue. And I remember um, I spoke one time to some students in Annapolis, Maryland. It was like a small classroom with like seven, ten students. And I, and I was giving the presentation, um, zero hours education presentation. And there was, so in the beginning of the presentation, I, I said, you know, close your eyes. Um, picture something that you love, anything. It doesn't have to be in nature, just anything in general, just, just picture it. And then they opened their eyes and they, they told us, um, they told me like what, what they thought about. So one of them was thinking about, you know, basketball, playing basketball with their friends outside. And so once we, once I presented more, I talked about the UNIPCC report about how we have like 11 years till it's irreversible and 20, 21 years till it, we're kind of at the climate chaos stage. and and. I was talking to them more about that and how we're, we're on a ticking clock, you know, you know we, have to, we have to act fast and this is zero hour to act on climate change because we're, we're in that like last sliver, that last hour of time. So when later after the presentation I asked, you know, what, is, what, do, what did you take from this? And that, that one person that said they liked, they liked playing basketball, they were like, oh, I'm kind of upset now because in the future like maybe I wouldn't be able to play basketball outside with my friends anymore you know mm -hmm. maybe the air will be too toxic or or there'll be too much rain or just there's so many like different factors that that could happen and, and they can't just do just just do something as simple as that like playing with their friends and and another student they said that they imagined um, they imagined hiking with their family they hike with their family at the same place about every year and she said she was upset because she knows that when she gets older, when she has her own family, she won't be able to hike there with them anymore because that, that place is degrading and the environment um, by the hike and everything. So, so during the presentation, I was talking about industrial animal agriculture and the impact that that system and that industry has on, on climate change and how 14.5% of that industry, those greenhouse gas emissions, it's 14.5% of the greenhouse gas emissions in the air and talking about the, the amount of destruction animal, industrial animal ag has on, on our planet. So many of them, they were like, oh, I really like meat. And then 
at the end, um, during the takeaways, many of them were like, I'm going to reduce my meat intake. <coughs> like, I, I know it's important, and I know that's something individual I can do, but I'll also spread the word and make sure that my family does, my friends do. So I think that was something that I, I kind of changed and people, got people to be more aware of, of that certain industry because we tend to be ignorant of that. Yeah, um, just to echo a little bit about you, what you said, like, um, you know, when you're talking about the meat and things, you know, we have gardens, right? And so sometimes kids, you know, we love to take our kids to go get chicken nuggets and, you know, all the fast food restaurants and all these kind of things. And so sometimes they don't eat the veggies, right? They don't eat the fruits or nothing like that. I remember one parent calling like, Mr. Lisona, Mr. Lisona, my kid, he never eats tomatoes and never eats stuff, but he brought this stuff home from the garden and he ate everything, you know? <laughs> and so it's things like that, right? Like if you want to change the mindset, you know, you also like taking care of yourself, you know, like teaching the kids also like the first thing you should take care of is like this zone, right? This space, you know, that's the first thing you have is a temple. And so um, with that, like, I've been able to see that change. I see the students like first, oh, broccoli or all these greens, but when they see it from grow from seed and, and grow, you know, and be able to pick it and then they taste, test it out and they were with their little group and they're like, here, you taste it. And like, yeah, gross. And they're like, oh, I like it. And then, you know, put some salad dressing or whatever. So then especially like the peppers, like, oh my God, I always play like pepper games. Like, can you do it? I'll eat it, the jalapeno habanero. Like, which one's the hottest or whatever. But I seen that change, you know, and then especially like when you start doing conservation projects, like removing the water hyacinth and also seeing like other natives start coming back or planting milkweed and seeing the monarchs coming and the kids being able to see that physical difference and change and things of that kind of sort. Again, it's just all about the awe and wonderment. How do you get that for your child? How do you get that for that student? How do you spark that little flame in them? To me, is get them out of the classroom. Can I see the hands raised as the people who have questions? Right, so we'll do one, two, three, four. Oh, so we'll do one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, over there. Um, on your last point, um, you, you, I, you are unique, I believe, uh, in that you are providing that kind of experience for your students. Uh, how receptive is the school district, though, to actually incorporating programs like yours into the curriculum mm -hmm. and how much effort do you see on the part of students to uh, to use like science projects uh, to to actually get some provable data mm -hmm. uh, of climate change mm -hmm. so as for the school district as a whole right it's a huge district um, they do have some district-wide initiatives like Eco Schools USA and some other kind of things. Um, and every school is unique in the sense that they have somebody that helps coordinate something, right? So I can't speak on every school's behalf or anything. But for us, as we want to become that green hub, we do invite our feeder pattern schools, other elementaries, and even other high schools that want to come to our school. What we try to do is have an event at Herman Brown Park and um, we have our student leaders in every pathway. They do some kind of programming at the park and we rotate the kids and like in charrettes. And so that's how we do outreach in the sense of trying to reach other communities that are not from our feeder pattern area. So that way we could have that kind of ripple wide city effect. 
Um, when you say dating and things of that kind of sort, um, I'm not sure if you heard the part where we're doing the toxic tours every month starting next week. And so we're taking our core teachers, our electives, our math, science, all those other star exams, state exams. We're taking those teachers so that way they can start making the curriculum more relevant and realistic. Because it's all theory, you know, like it's all just stuff written on the board, nothing really applicable, you know, so like how can we create solutions and how can we inform the kids of what's happening so they could become like them, where they could petition the government, go ahead and say this and that. One thing that we did with the house is that we worked with Texas A&M University as well, and we did a, a health survey around the community in Manchester. Um, the graduate kids had trouble getting responses because they're kind of grown, right? So our high school kids increased it by 85% the responses. And so they went door to door, just like how you do Halloween, you know, you go with your kids, you watch on the street, like, hey, you scream if someone's gonna do something, you know? But like, either way, they were knocking and things and like, the, the, the people were open, they, were wanted to, they wanted to talk to the high school kids, you know, like, hi, I'm doing a high school project, and you know, we're doing interviews, so they, they gave in, they're like, okay. Some of the things that they found out is some people didn't know that they lived in a fence-line community. They didn't know that these, you know, all these buildings and everything else were a petrochemical complex. They didn't know that all these fumes and all these things coming out was harming them. And there are generations of, of people that are getting cancer. And then we start thinking that it's genetics, but it's not genetics, you know? If you're getting a heavy dose of all these chemicals, then you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna feel that. Um, I hope I answered your question, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at right now. Uh, once a month, we're gonna be taking teachers and go ahead and rethink high school to become that green hub. Uh, Juan, I'd like to thank you for your service to our community. Um, brings up a follow-up question, which is we seem to be allergic to teaching about local real history and real issues and all these things in our public schools. And I'd like to reflect, I'd like for you guys on the panel to reflect on what you learned about your particular community's ecology and history and issues while you were in school and why are we more apt to talk about global issues in schools than our own local issues? Well, like for me, it's because a lot of our teachers don't live in the community. So they can't really relate. You know, if you're driving in from Conroe, the Woodlands, and you're 50 minutes away from the high school that you teach at, big gap, big disconnect. And then we could even go more. How's the high schools doing when we graduate hundreds and thousands of graduates, but yet they're not filled with alumni teaching? How are we not building homegrown leaders to come back and teach, right? That's why I'm in education, to solve that issue, right? To figure that out. One example would be is that, you know, I have a seven-year service now. A position opened up recently for another ag position, and it was one of my first students that I was a sponsor for, this Green Ambassador program that I, I helped lead. Seven years ago, he was in the program he got out of college, got his teaching degree and everything. I went to my Facebook position over like, hmm, where's her? Hey, let me text him. I sent him a message. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm looking for a teaching position. Hey, give us a chance. Come over here. Let, come look at my school. Let's see if this is something you're interested in. And so for me, that's why the toxic tours are very important. So that way our educators could really see what our communities are facing on a daily basis. They could see the very same neighborhoods that our kids come from because our teachers sometimes are just in and out 
in and out, right? They don't know that, oh, this is what a food desert looks like. Oh, this is what a fence line community looks like. Oh, this the petrochemical complex stretches all the way to Baytown and more. They don't know none of those things. And so it's my job as a teacher specialist to figure out how to get the teachers more empowered, to get the teachers to give them those resources and that knowledge so that way they could build and close that gap with their students and make it more relevant. Either of you, any thoughts from either of you on that question? Just on uh, what you're kind of like, what they're learning in terms of local, about their own yeah, your own community, your local ecology. Yeah, I think he was wondering from all of us. Yeah. When I was younger, when I was in third grade, I learned a lot about the Chesapeake Bay, and we learned about we had like a whole unit in science for like two months about like pollution, like what we put down in the drain goes to the bay, and. And we have environmental science every every three or four years um, in in my county. So so we really learn about um, um, as I said the Chesapeake Bay, and we, we take field trips to the marshes and the wetlands, and really see how the food chain is there, and work with work with the environment there. So I, I think that really opened me up to be more aware of of, of my surroundings and my specific um, environment in Baltimore. Oh, that's great. What about for you, Jaden? Anything that you're learning in school now, or you have learned about your local community? I mean, not really. Like, I can't really think of anything that I've mm -hmm. learned that, like, climate-related. Because, again, I live in, like, a very, like, oil-driven, like, state. And so everyone that I, like, around me is always either an oil worker or their dad is or their grandpa is or their whatever is. And so, like, we don't really learn. I don't think I've ever read any school book that was given to me that mentioned, like, the harms that's happening to Louisiana and other places. I don't, I've never got education, like education on that besides like my own independent study for it. Like me going out to look for stuff like that. Yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. A few more questions. Um, we just have five minutes left. Yep. What about um, democracy? In other words, are, are efforts being made to make sure that once you are of age that you vote? Um, because the president says that you are a Chinese hoax. So are you uh, doing anything uh, to make sure that everybody knows that in every single election they have to vote? And I'm not one to talk. The midterm election, the last one, was the first one I ever voted in. So I voted presidential, never did anything midterm. So what are you guys doing to be smarter than I was? First of all, thank you for voting, going out to vote. We need more voters. Zero Hour had um, a vote for our future campaign where we had youth that were underage, that weren't able to vote, you know, put videos on social media and say, you know, please vote for my future, I can't vote, so, so vote, vote for my future and kind of to take in consideration of, of climate change and its effect on youth. So we've been really pushing for that and me specifically, I'm in student council, I'm really involved in, in my school community and, and like on the county level as well as the school level. So getting like our, our seniors and making sure that they're the seniors that are eligible to vote, that, they, that they're registered and they go to vote. In Maryland, you can register at 16, so I'm registered to vote, but I can't vote yet. I'm 16, so I can't. 
but um, I will be voting in 2020 and I'm going to make sure that my whole senior class is registered to vote and that they go vote in the primaries because the primaries are just as important as the, the actual election, right? We have so many Democratic nominees running. We have to make sure we have to pick one that, that's making climate change one of the forefronts of their, their campaign. But, but yeah, as you said like earlier, like youth are really pushing out for voting with March for Our Lives and so many other voting organizations that have been created this past year. I think it's going to be more successful in the future. Can we, let's get our two questions. Let's just hear both the questions and then um, we'll respond and wrap up. So. Yeah. All right, so, uh, so I know a lot of you are focused on like the, how environmentally, how things environmentally are changed, like with the uh, pipeline you were talking about, but also with greenhouse gases, what greenhouse gas would you think we should be most focused on? Because there are different gases that have different times in the atmosphere. Carbon stays up to 200 years, but doesn't trap as much as methane. And nitrous oxide, there isn't as much, but it's two or 300 times worse than carbon and stays the same amount of time. So what greenhouse gas would you consider to be the most uh, like harmful to us? And like, what steps would you take to eliminate those? Let's hear the next question and then we'll get responses. So um, I'd really like to address this to Nadia. Um, I'm a, a teacher and I have uh, students and all of my students are very knowledgeable about climate change. And my question is how do you move from knowing a lot about it to doing something about it? How did you make that transition to organize in a way that you were actually acting instead of just knowing and worrying? Those are both really good questions. Do we have responses for both? Yeah. Does anyone want to answer the first one? Um, well, I guess just for me, you know, you're talking about greenhouse gases and like, I'm trying to figure out how do I prepare my community for a pipeline to bust in our park, you know? And so, I guess to me, I'm not focusing on that big question, I'm focusing on first responding to my community in a disaster, right? And so again, it, like, it goes back to what's more realistic for your community, how can your community impact it? I love the global big picture of things, but I'm more worried about, hey, what's gonna happen and how can I, how can I re-equip our kids with CPR? How can we equip them to be able to put out a fire? Because when Harvey happened, one of my students' dad died he got electrocuted by going out there on a boat and saving somebody. The power lines fell down, he got electrocuted and died. Democracy Now did a whole thing on it. And so I'm more worried about that because we're in it already. So how do we survive when, when something happens? I'm more about survival right now. So like surviving the actual thing that's happening now instead of changing what's already been happening instead of trying to reverse it, you're saying it's happening, might as well prepare them for what's Yeah, because we don't know how to survive right now. We're not resilient all the way right now. And so I'm, I'm focused on that right now. Yeah, and for the, the second question, I, I would really say to prepare your students with the, the skills in order to organize. For me, when I, I took the initiative to create Zero Hour with um, a few friends online, we, we were we didn't have much skills, you know, we had to learn how to write emails and, and as art yeah. director, I, I, I did our logo, it's yeah, this, this logo of the clock, ticking clock, and I had to, I was learning about like graphic design in schools, so I, I think that was one of the really big things that helped me. My school taught me how to do 
graphic design, so I took those skills, made promotional graphics for our events so more people would come out and for our marches, for our lobby days. So I think really giving your students skills with um, whether it's like emails or being able to call someone, having lobby trainings would be amazing to, so kids would be prepared and more confident in themselves to talk to elected officials and, and, and do that. So I think definitely talking to your students about what solutions they can do, like lobbying, mm -hmm. they can plant a garden, planting trees and going and doing like visiting different centers and and just talk like list out like what actions you can do what actions you're available to do see what your students are interested in are they interested in going and lobbying or or planting trees and, and once you find what they're interested in what they're passionate about make sure to prep them with the skills and once they have the skills i'm sure they'll be able to to move forward with it that's the end of our, our question and answers. Um, I invite you to uh, reach out to Jaden, Nadia, and Juan. If I think they're all open to that. Um, the links to the websites and organizations that they're a part of are in the booklets. Um, I know Juan has to get going, and we really uh, we wish you a great day. Um, your efforts and your work are in our prayers and our thoughts, and um, we uh, can go beyond that. Uh, as the People's Climate Movement and the national and organization, uh, their slogan says, to, to change everything, we need everyone. So I hope that you can believe in, that we can all believe in the youth, that we can invest in youth in the various ways that that's possible, and know that as um, young people and as people working with young people, we need all age groups and all sectors. So um, if you can all join me in standing and giving them a round of applause. Thank you for what you do. and Jackson and the Bayou Youth and David and Mr. Ghost Horse. So if we could do one more round of applause. I keep wondering if it can get any better and it just keeps getting better. <laughs> so what an amazing way to start the morning. Thank you all for being here. Um, now we're gonna head over to University of St. Thomas for communicating climate change. So we'll see you over there. We start promptly at da, 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 1045.